0: Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today it is time to get you prepared for Carolina's close to the 2022 season as they take on the Oregon Ducks in the holiday bowl in San Diego. Uh, It's a tough challenge, no doubt about it. We're going to break it down for you, tell you everything that you need to know about this game, uh, as well as give you our keys to the game and our predictions for this matchup. Uh, it, It is going to be an exciting one, no doubt about it, tomorrow night on Fox. But before we do that, we have to take a look at Carolina landing two more guys in the transfer portal. Last week, the focus on Wednesday was really on the early signing class that Carolina was bringing in, at least for the morning. Uh, Carolina got everybody in before 11.30 a.m. And if you want to, we have the breakdown of that. Me and Zach Hubbard did that actually last night. So if you guys want to go check that out, you can just check out the last edition of the Heel Tough blog podcast before this one. But after that was all said and done, Carolina then goes on to the transfer trail and lands two transfer commits as well. Two guys that were just on campus here recently and two more guys that are veterans and can help Carolina immediately this upcoming season in 2023. And so first of all, buddy, uh, wanted to bring you in here. Josh Marlow, of course, with me, uh, First how, how was how was the holidays? I'm assuming that uh, you got a couple of Toriel gifts as well, but uh how, how's uh the family holding up and everything?
1: Uh holidays were good. Um the Cowboys did not ruin my thanks or my Christmas uh by beating the Eagles on Christmas Eve. Unfortunately, yep. Um the Knicks because they lose so often on Christmas Day, they didn't really affect me in a negative way. Um I only got One Tar Heel gift, I got a nice little uh,
0: pillow for my bed from my little sister that uh, is pretty sweet. You know what? I did as well. I got one pair of Tar Heel shorts, and you know what I was told? Well, you already got too much Tar Heel gear, so I'm like, really? Yeah, I've just gotten to where i
1: quit asking because I
0: buy so much of it for myself. That's a fair point. I did get that sweet polo the last time that we were up there, so yeah, yeah, I but, but overall, it was good.
1: Uh, it was a nice little break with Carolina basketball in a nine-day layoff. Tar Heel football, getting ready for the bowl game, was able to just take some time to step away from the blog, step away from the podcast. But mm-hmm. we're back in action this week, so it's hashtag back to the grind. And uh, hopefully we get to see a much better performance on the on the field Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, well, I'm hoping so. But the good news is, is that, as I mentioned, Carolina's getting a couple of guys to come in a- – from the transfer portal to help them out, not for this game, but for 2023. And it started with Virginia Tech uh, cornerback transfer Armani Chapman, four-year contributor at Virginia Tech, played in 49 games with the Hokies, so about as experienced as it gets. 89 total tackles, four tackles for loss, two interceptions, and 20 pass deflections in his four seasons there. Uh, A guy that struggled early in his career out of the gate allowed uh, quarterback ratings of over 100 in each of his first two seasons uh, against him, but quarterback's not quite as successful the last two years, just a 73 Quarterback rating uh, average over the last two seasons, so I think a guy. You know, when I when I saw this pickup, I think this is one that is going to be there more for depth than anything else. Look, if if Carolina gets to a point where they have to have him out there as the starter. It is what it is. You would feel pretty confident that he could at least hold things down, especially with with the fact that he has been in the ACC for lo, for so long. He's had some intermediate success, you know, or in, intermittent success. I think is the word I was looking for there. Um, you know, not not overly consistent, but but still pretty solid. So I think that's what Carolina was looking at here. This is another one of those moves, too, where it it seems like Carolina, over the last couple of years, when they've gone into the portal, they have valued guys that have played in the ACC before. I mean, this past season, their two biggest transfer pickups, Corey Gaynor and Noah Taylor, both came from ACC schools. It feels like this is kind of along that similar ilk, and hopefully he will be a guy that doesn't have to play a major role for Carolina because other guys can step up.
1: Yeah, the thing about it when I look at this commitment, and this is something that even before the portal really became what it was, I was always very concerned about bringing in guys that didn't play at the Power Five level. And, you know, we, we saw that, you know, when Roy Williams brought in Justin Pierce and Christian Keeling, that step up to Power Five competition was too much. In football, we've seen Mac Brown be willing to go get you know, group of five type of talent. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. This guy's got experience. You know, he's played in 49 games at Virginia Tech. He's got twenty. He's got two interceptions, 20 pass deflections, as you mentioned. So a guy that can make plays on the ball is a corner. And uh, I don't know about you, but after watching this secondary for four years struggle in that department – I like that. So even if he is a depth guy, at least this is a depth guy that has played at this level, knows what it takes. I mean, I know you're really excited about the FCS transfer and what that guy can do, but I'm not going to be sitting here surprised if he gets, you know, carved up like a turkey on Thanksgiving next next year.
0: Well, the thing with him is that you, you should not expect him to automatically be the starter coming in. If that's your expectation, and really I'm saying the staff – then that might be a little concerning. You should just be bringing him in and hoping that, okay, maybe he does flash enough to where you feel confident putting him out there. Yeah, there there's definitely going to be some growing pains for him, but I think one of the things with that is we've seen guys – Go in the NFL draft that have come out of the FCS ranks at corner that are really successful players. And with him, he—I mean—he had six interceptions this year alone. So you talk about a guy that makes plays on the football. I think that's that's the type of guy that you're bringing in. in Huzzy, that's the guy that you're looking at, and you're saying upside. That's why we're taking a chance on him. This is a move where you know what you're getting in Armani Chapman, a solid cover corner that can navigate you through some things if needed. And look, if that ends up being your guy early in the season, great. You would just hope that somebody else, I think, would emerge behind him. And he's only got one year of eligibility left. So I like this, getting a veteran in the room. And clearly it's also a guy that Charlton Warren has identified and feels fits what this defense needs right now at the cornerback spot, which is also just depth like they they just they need bodies in that room because as you've mentioned and it's not it's nowhere near as bad as it was at the end of the Larry Fedora era but Carolina still had issues with keeping guys healthy at the cornerback position you lost four guys to the transfer portal at that cornerback spot um that are outgoing so bringing in Huzzy and and Chapman along with the two the, the three freshmen that you brought in I think can we say they've done a pretty good job of at least restocking the depth maybe adding one more guy might help you but I think they've done a pretty good job of at least restocking for now
1: yeah and I think that was really the the goal was for right now to go get enough guys just to have some depth in that room and you know there's still a long way to go in this whole portal process but start taking care of some needs in that department and and so that's why I like the move. And um you know, I, I just feel like this is this was a move that, you know, this is a guy that you could trust to put on the field if you absolutely had to. And he has enough tape to right. where you could see that he could he, he can make plays, and that's gonna be the thing really that we wanna see from this in this Oregon game is what guys that are gonna play can we trust to make plays as we enter next year because of so many guys transferring out of the program those type those type of guys are limited so this will be a guy that at least when we know when we go to spring ball we know look he's got 4 years of of tape that he can make plays at this level and and that's what carolina needs after the mass exodus of talent at that position
0: well carolina then goes just a little while after that and lands the commitment of kent state wide receiver Devontae Walker, guy that's <laughs> formerly from the state of North Carolina, went to West Charlotte High School, and has done some good things for. Kent State primarily this past year, 58 catches, 921 yards, 11 touchdowns to lead Kent State. He was named an all uh, to the All-Max second team and, and really just put together a strong, strong season. The thing about him is, as you said, it is a step up in competition for him going from the group of five level to the power five level, but the thing with him is you look at some of the games that they played against Power 5 opponents this year. O- Oklahoma, not great. One catch, 12 yards. But the other two affairs, four catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown against Washington. And the one that I think probably encourage, cur- encourages people the most, seven catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown in the game on the road against Georgia, who as we've seen you know, so far this year, Is looks like the best team in the country. It looks like they're heading towards their second straight national title. So, this was, again, you're projecting with this one. This is one where you're bringing him in because of the upside. But I really think, out of the guys that they've landed so far, this is probably the one that I am most excited about. Just based off of what we've seen from him so far in his career.
1: Yeah, because when you give it when you look at what he's done at, at Kent State, you're looking at a guy that you would imagine would put up even better numbers in this offense. It'll be different with Chip Lindsey. But he's playing with the Heisman level type of quarterback in Drake May and and so this has been the best move so far the off season. and it's not really a question because you've got to retool the offensive side of the ball. A <laughs> well, little unless bit.
0: they fire Tim Cross, then that'll be the best yeah, move maybe. Of the off season.
1: So yeah, I mean, I mean this this was such a great pickup that it had Ross Smart from Inside Carolina tweeting out a video of him outrunning NFL players,
0: twenty three point one miles per hour on that catch and run against Georgia. I mean, that is absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, I don't even get that fast when I run to the vending machine. So, dude, he you, so my the speed limit in my neighborhood is 25 miles an hour. This dude would be going faster than half the people that live in my neighborhood by just running than in a car. I mean, that's in the, you Carolina needs those types of players. Those guys that can hit home runs because we've seen when Carolina's offense has been at their best, it's when they can hit those big plays. It's not – the the thing that was an issue for Carolina in 2021 was that it was only big plays or bust. That was the issue for Carolina. This year, we saw when they hit those home run plays and you combine it with a team that can move the ball up and down the field at will at times, it makes them one of the most lethal offenses in the country. And you're losing Antoine Green, you're losing – Josh Downs and, and everything that he has brought. So to me, getting a guy that's th- that, that provides these types of tools, I think, was just huge for this staff. And, and my thing is, is the way that Lonnie Galloway has developed just guys that have come into that room straight out of high school, to have a guy that already has a base at the college level to build off of, <laughs> I mean, you got to think this could turn out to be something pretty special.
1: Yeah, and I feel like, you know, that, that that will be something that I think will go a long way for this Tar Heel team next year that's going to look a little bit different on offense. Maybe this is going to be a more run-oriented offense, a more methodical offense, but you have a guy that has the ability to be a game wrecker, and, you know, Carolina was able to replace Daz Newsome with Josh Downs. Right now, before this guy committed, you didn't really, or transferred, you didn't really have a guy that you could sit there and say, he can wreck the game. This guy can wreck the game. He will be a guy that every time he touches the ball, he'll be a house call waiting to happen. And so he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And he he was the first transfer that you could directly say, Drake. he's here because of Drake May. He's here to play with Drake May. And it'll be interesting to
0: see how many more of those guys come in throughout the remainder of the offseason. One thing that's interesting to me is, do you think this is something that was... This was a move that was made because of what happened after the 2020 season where Carolina just kind of trusted that they had the pieces both in the backfield and at wide receiver to replace all that they lost. And maybe Mac Brown learned his lesson this time and said, let's use the portal to find at least one guy that can help us. Because I, I think that could be, could be a reflection of that. I mean, I, I would like
1: to say yes. Because that would show that this staff is learning from past mistakes. But I, I don't know if that's the biggest reason why. I think they just saw a need and they went and got it. Oh, I don't it.
0: think it's the biggest, but I, I think it might have been a factor. So, you know, I mean, look, make no
1: mistake, this offense is going to have a lot of questions going into next year because you got a new play call. Or you got a yeah, new scheme. Definitely. You know, if Phil Longo came back, you'd probably be like, well, Carolina or, you know, this offense is still going to be pretty potent. We think it's going to be potent, but we don't know that because we haven't seen Chip Lindsey in Chapel Hill, and we know the issues that some of his past stops where his offenses weren't as explosive as they, they probably should have been. But uh, this will be a fun guy to watch in Carolina Blue.
0: Well, we have to wait until 2023 to see uh, Devontae Walker as well as Armani Chapman play for the Tar Heels. But let's talk about this 2022 team. They have one game remaining in this season it's the Holiday Bowl in San Diego. It's at the San Diego Credit Union Holiday Bowl. Make sure I get that sponsor in there. Uh in Petco Park. So that'll be pretty cool. Um what are you, are you a big you a big football and baseball stadium guy?
1: Yes, because in the old days that's how they they, they used to play football in baseball stadiums. Right. Um, and Petco and Petco Park is one of the best venues in all of baseball.
0: By the way, Petco Park. Uh, are there any other memories of Petco Park other than the bomb hit by the greatest, one of the greatest fat pitchers we have ever seen in our lifetime, Bartolo Colon? That is that is my best memory. From there, and it's as a Met fan, but I feel like a lot of people that would probably rank up there. That 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 he hit out to left field.
1: Yeah, either that or I'm trying to think. I don't think Tony Gwynn set the record for the the the, the hitting record that he set. I don't think he set that at home. Them eliminating the Dodgers at home this past year in the postseason was kind of fun to see. Yeah, it probably ranks up there. So, but nothing will ever top. I mean, they should put a statue of Bartolo Colon out front of that stadium because that was the greatest thing that ever happened in that
0: stadium's history. I mean, as our guy Gary Cohen said, this is one of the greatest moments in the history of baseball. Bartolo Colon has gone deep. What a, I mean, what an amazing moment. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I like it. I definitely think that this is clearly behind the Fenway Bowl and the Pinstripe Bowl, in well, terms of the just—I mean, I say historical context, but Yankee Stadium now isn't really historical. So yeah, I, yeah. but both those places have a nostalgia
1: about them because true. you're in the Bronx. True, true. You're in Fenway. If they ever put a baseball game at uh, Dodger Stadium,
0: yeah, I was gonna say I'm shocked there isn't one in Chavez Ravine.
1: You—you you probably won't see me a while for a while because I.
0: I, I will disappear. Can we put one in City Field? That's all I'm asking. No, I don't want my grass messed up. Okay. All right. But, uh, look, you know, it'll be it'll be a cool chance for Carolina to go out there. They, they've already been going through. They went to SeaWorld um, already. They, they what are all they uh,
1: saw out there by the sea?
0: They visited – I'm just going to move on from that. That, that, that was – look, we just hosted a three-hour show today on WFNZ – Uh, That was easily your worst moment of the entire day. Right there,
1: I know, I, I reached for God. it,
0: but you know, it was there and it had to be made. That was terrible because seeing is believing, and also they did go onto uh, you, the aircraft carrier yesterday, um, so that was that was pretty cool as well uh, for them. Uh, that's that's a big part of what Mac Brown has said about this. It's all about the experiences, but now <laughs> it is time for Carolina to get serious. They are looking to close out this season with a win after three straight losses at the end of the season. Um, And again, I I think it feels extremely important for Carolina to win this game. But they just have so much that is going against them as they look for that first bowl win since 2019. Josh Downs not playing in this game for Carolina. Of course, they're going to have a majority of the guys that have entered the transfer portal, including now Cameron Kelly. He originally said he was going to play in the bowl game that is no longer the case so carolina is going to be shorthanded a lot of the guys that contributed to getting them to 9 and 4 this season will not be out there this oregon team 9 and 3 7 and 2 in conference play offensively about as potent as it gets uh 39.7 points per game yards of total offense per game, 291.4 passing yards per game, 216.8 rushing yards. Bo Nix, he will play in this game. He is coming back for his senior season, and he was absolutely outstanding this year. There was a reason why he was in some of that Heisman conversation as we got later and later into the season. 3,388 yards passing, 27 touchdowns to just six interceptions, and also did it with his legs on the ground, 504 rushing yards and 14 touchdowns for the signal caller. Meanwhile, their running back duo of Marquise King and Noah Winnington combined for 2,098 yards of total offense and 12 touchdowns. So this is one of the toughest backfields that Carolina is going to have to play so far this year. And you know, then when you combine Bo Nix and his running ability – This is going to be a really, really tough test for Carolina and their run defense. How concerned are you about the way that the Ducks have run the football, the way that Bo Nix has been able to factor in out of the quarterback spot, and this Carolina run defense? Because it feels like the run defense, believe it or not, has been the better of the two defenses for Carolina so far this year.
1: Whenever I saw the the matchup revealed, I thought this was probably worst case scenario for Carolina and trying to win a bowl game. Um you're going out west so you gotta deal with the time difference. Organ doesn't have to worry about that. You're going against a team that's offense can be explosive, just like Carolina's can has been at times. They can do it through the air, through the ground, so they're very balanced. You've got a quarterback who can use his legs. We know how much we struggle with that. And I think Oregon's one of the the, the rare teams that will be really invested in this game because they they lost their, their, their final game of the regular season, their rivalry game, which cost them a chance to go play for a Pac-12 championship and a, and a berth in the Rose Bowl. And so I think they'll be motivated to come out and try to right that wrong um, and get to 10 wins for Dan Lanning in his first season out there in Eugene. And so I think Carolyn's going to have their hands full. Um, you know, I, I kind of joked when we got the matchup that at least we'll have a good uniform matchup between these two schools. And it's Gus Johnson and Joel Clatt. They've become my favorite uh, crew to call college football games. I love those two guys. It just might be a long day for, for me as a Tar Heel fan watching them call this game because this Oregon offense poses a lot of different things for a Tar Heel defense that already wasn't very good, then lost some of its better players for the portal and is looking
0: for answers
1: to questions entering next year.
0: And look, their receiving trio of Troy Franklin, Chris Houston, and Chase Cota, definitely going to be tough to slow down. They did lose their fourth guy in that group, in uh, Dante Thornton. But I don't think that's really going to be much of a concern. I think those three that I just talked about are going to be trouble enough, not to mention the tight end spot. Terrence Ferguson three uh, has 307 yards, receiving five touchdowns so far this year. We know Carolina has had trouble at points this year defending the tight ends. So we'll have to wait and see. The biggest challenge, though, in this game, and the reason why this Oregon offense – Is different than Carolina's offense is this offensive line this this might be the best offensive line in the country they have allowed four sacks the entire season that's it Carolina allowed six sacks to Georgia Tech (laughs) I mean so you're you're talking about a massive difference And Carolina, a team that comes in having just 16 sacks so far this year going against that type of pass protection, which will allow them to pick apart a secondary that is going to be one, shorthanded, two, very young, and three, still a little bit banged up from from going through the season. This could be a really, really tough task for Carolina's defense against this offense.
1: Yeah, and I think it's gonna be interesting to see. You know, um, and if for Carolina going into this game defensively, I think this I think this is an evaluation game for Mac Brown. This is a one last chance for the players and the coaching staff to prove that they have what it takes to put ever to put out a really good defensive uh unit. If not, Thank you for your time and your
0: service. We'll help you enter the portal.
1: If this defensive
0: well, line, and we'll help you pack your bags if you're a coach. Yeah. Please, for the love of God, I don't care what they do in this game. I don't care if they have twelve sacks in the first half of this game, fire Tim Cross. In, at halftime, fire him. Like you, make make some changes, please. But I think with the roster, I think you're spot on. You got to evaluate The biggest thing that you have to do in this game is evaluate what this defense looks like in 2023. Who are the guys that you believe can come in and contribute? And do you feel like you have enough at certain position groups or do you have to go into the portal and find other guys?
1: Yeah, and so I think if Carolina can come away with some answers to those questions, you feel a lot better about that. I don't really foresee it. I think this game is going to be kind of what we've seen from the defense all year long. I think they're going to give up big plays. I think they're going to give up points and yards and all that. And so I just really want to see other guys step up. I want to see what Marcus Allen and Legica Cavazos have to offer this defense from a cornerback position. I want to see Travis Shaw on the field a lot. Yes. And so, like, I think that's the thing is that, you know, like, in theory, do I want Carolina to win the game? Yes. But if they lose... Am I gonna be sitting here animated and pissed off at the world like I was after Georgia Tech, NC State, or Clemson? No. Well, unless they
0: just get absolutely embarrassed. So you know, like, like
1: the thing is that, like, I want to come into this game getting answers going into next year. Yes, knowing that what we got in from our defensive line, our linebacker, and our and our defensive back groups, and the guys that we and, and being able to identify where we still need help to go get in the portal. That's what I want to see. You know what? Cedric Gray, what particles what they're going to give you. So it's about all those other guys, those other positions, um, because yeah, they're they're facing a, a a an offense that can run the ball, they can throw the ball, they can do a lot of different things. They're physical up front at the point of attack. So Carolina's defense is going to have you know its hands full. I want to see what guys can we identify that can rise to the challenge and compete and help us going into next year.
0: Well, you look at the defensive side of the ball for the Ducks, 27.4 points per game, 386.1 yards of total offense allowed, 260.6 passing yards allowed, and just 125.5 rushing yards allowed this season. Defensive front, probably the weakness of this unit um, throughout the season It's a little bit different in this game because of some of the guys that they've lost. But throughout the season, it's really been that defensive front, although they do still have some productive guys up there like D.J. Johnson off the edge, uh, as well as Brandon Dorless and uh, Mase Funa at linebacker. Group that had a pretty solid year. Uh, Those rushing yards allowed numbers show you that it it, it was a pretty good year for them. But not having Noah Sewell will be... A pretty significant blow for them. A guy that's probably going to be right on the border of going in that first round or heading into day two and being taken early in this upcoming NFL draft. Uh, He already declared early and will sit this game out. The defensive back unit, they've let up some yards so far this year, no doubt about it, but they have hauled in 16 interceptions so far this season as a team. Majority of those from the defensive backs. One problem, though. Christian Gonzalez, their best corner, will not play in this game. So this is a defensive unit kind of like you know what we've seen a little bit on Carolina's side where they are going to have a little bit of a different look coming into this game. This, I think, is probably Carolina's best chance is to tear apart an Oregon defense that is going to be missing some pieces if they want to win this game.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest hope is that we see Drake may look like the Drake may of old, a guy that's throwing for 300 yards, three, four, five touchdowns in his sleep. And that's possible um, because this Oregon defense, albeit it wasn't what cost them in the loss to Oregon State, it was their run defense. Well, this Oregon defense is leaky, um, and it shows you just, you know, as good as the job Dan Lanning's done that first year, he's still got some ways to go to turn them in, the type of defense you would expect a guy like him who's coach who's running that program to play. And so um, I think you'll see Carolina be very aggressive through the air because the, the secondary is so suspect. But this comes down to Carolina's offensive line. You know, as you mentioned this is this is a, a an offensive line that gave up six sacks to Georgia Tech and really since then hasn't been the same. And that's the biggest reason why we've seen inept offense from Carolina. And so I feel like if if they put together a complete effort Drake may can go blow for blow with Bonex. Oh, definitely. It's but it's if 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 they don't and they're getting pushed around up front to where Carolina can't run the ball and you're having to ask Drake May to make every single play, you're probably going to see what happened in the Clemson game happen again. And you're going to see this offense just get overwhelmed and and, and really just shut down and, and not be effective. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of where this team's psyche is at as an offense. Because the first two months, you couldn't tell them anything. They were as good an offense we've ever seen in Chapel Hill. At last, The last three games we've seen, though, They've left a lot to be desired, so you'd imagine they'll come out of this game motivated to respond in a positive
0: way. Well, you would hope so. Just as an overall unit, yes. You would hope that they want to prove that, look, that end to the season was not at all what we were. And uh, that's the frustrating part with this offense, is that they didn't look that bad when they were without Antoine Green and Josh Downs early in the season. You had lost British Brooks leaving question marks in the backfield about where he would go because he was your one proven guy. And this offense was still moving the football at will. Now, granted, some of those defenses that you played were nowhere near as good as primarily the last two defenses that you played. Georgia Tech was the one that I think just has everybody scratching their heads about what happened in that game because of how well you were moving the football. But there should be motivation from this group as a whole and especially this offensive line. Because we've already heard, last game for Ed Montalis so you should want to go out on a high note. Chance it could be the last game for Corey Gaynor one way or another. He's looking into his NFL draft stock, and if he is going to come back next year, he has to get a waiver. There's no guarantee that he's going to get that. And Awesome Richards is a guy that's looking at the NFL, so you should want to go out on a high note as well. That should be the motivation for this group coming out. You should... You should see one of the better performances from this offensive line group against, you know, as I said earlier, a solid defensive line group from Oregon. But this is a defensive line group. Can you tell me how many sacks Oregon has this season? 27. They have 16. Same huh. amount as Carolina. So they're not a team that's exactly tearing it up, getting after the quarterback either. This is a game where you have to prove yourself. But the other part of the challenges is, for for this offense, as we transition into the Tar Heel portion of this game and the storylines around them, is, look, we want this offense to go out on a high note. That's one of the big questions coming into this game. But the problem is, is you don't have your play caller, And to be honest with you, I don't do we. I have not seen any clarification as to who exactly is calling plays in this game. I think it's Lonnie Galloway because he was named the passing game coordinator. But I could be wrong. It may be him and John Lilly who was named the running game coordinator at the same time that Chip Lindsey was brought in. Both of those guys received those titles. Maybe they are going to be calling the offense together like we saw at times with Larry Fedora, which did not work out great. And then you don't have an offensive line coach. Look, Randy Clements has been here. He's probably been working with some guys, but they are not going to be coaching in this bowl game. So there are some big-time challenges that this offense has to face as they try to show that heading into next year, there's still reason to believe in that.
1: Yeah, and so it's going to be really interesting to see You know, kind of – we just, you know, how this all comes together, because you're right, has been very mum on the Tar Heel front about, you know, who's calling plays, who's got what responsibilities. Um, and so that, that that's just going to make it harder on the players. And, and so it's going to be interesting to see kind of just where they are as an offense because they were at a historic pace. And when it's all said and done, this is still one of the best offenses we've seen in Tar Heel football history. It's just... You know the last three games have left a lot to be desired. I think you'll see a motivated Drake May. I think you'll see some other guys motivated to step up because this is this is trying to salvage the end of the season and starting to build momentum for twenty twenty three. Like if Carolina gets to ten and four, you could still be rather optimistic to miss about the way things are going. Mm-hmm. You go nine and five with four straight losses. Believe it or not, we'll go into the offseason with this program still at somewhat of a crossroads. You answered some questions this year, probably not as many as you probably thought you would have when you were sitting there at 9-1. and one. And so I think of this, of this offensive line, you know, Gainer, Montelis, if these are the last games they come out and, you know, that they play as if, you know, it means something to them and, and they can just control the line of scrimmage, you can move the ball against this Oregon defense. If you don't, and you get overwhelmed again by a mediocre defensive line and a questionable secondary, then we're going to be entering this offseason kind of wanting to know was some of the numbers inflated were some of our guys overrated? Like Those will be hard questions we'll have to look at and say if this offense comes out and puts up another subpar performance.
0: Well, and I think the thing with that would be how much does the offensive line improve with Randy Clements um but the concern would be you you guys struggled at the end of the season with a guy at Phil Longo who is widely respected throughout the sport for what he's done there and you're bringing in a guy in Chip Lindsey who has kind of bounced around has you know lost play calling duties both at Auburn and at UCF his last two offensive coordinator stops so yeah, I I think you're right. There would be some major question marks. Do you agree with me? I get it, and I want to see this too. I want to see you find some other guys that can step up outside of Antoine Green in this game that can prove to be receiving threats for Drake May next season. But do you agree with me that in order for Carolina probably to win this game – You have to see them run the football well because you're right. That's what Oregon State did to Oregon that really nobody else had been able to all season long.
1: Yeah, no doubt. You want to identify guys you can count on next year, whether it's your possession receiver, third down receiver, slot receiver, whatever it is. You want to help. You want to identify that. But remember what I told you for four years. This is a run-first offense. And this, it will definitely be moving forward with Chip
0: Lindsey from what we've seen. So. This
1: offense you know, functions at a higher rate, at a more efficient rate, when they can run the ball. And so, yes, I want to see Carolina be able If Carolina can't run out go out there and run for 150 or more against this defense, that tells you all you need to know. That that tells you that your guys up front just weren't good enough. Maybe your, your running backs aren't good enough, whatever it is. And so I'm with you. I want to see Cubby Pesor and I want to see J.J. Jones and Gavin Blackwell make plays. I also want to see Carolina run the ball because I think that's their best pathway to getting a win because this Oregon defensive line is very underwhelming, and that's something that if you can attack and identify, you should have a lot of success on the ground.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And 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 the other thing there is you want to find some more – I mean, you got to find your solutions to what you're going to do in the backfield moving forward. Because, I mean, Elijah Green, you know, he's shown some good things this year, but is that the guy that you're leaning on next year? Is, you know, British Brooks coming back next year? Is he going to have to be a major part of what you do? Or does Amari Hampton step up? Do you start to see some things from George Petaway? that you thought you were going to see this year. Those are the types of things you want to figure out in this game. And I think you you'll you'll have the chance to do that if your offensive line comes out motivated because there was a reason why Oregon State was able to be that successful. Now, I don't think Carolina's offensive line is as good as Oregon State's. Oregon State had a pretty good year overall offensively, and especially with that offensive line. But at the same time, that they showed you a recipe of how you can beat this Oregon team, how you can score points on this Oregon defense. <coughs> Follow through with it, because you've got guys on this roster that are talented enough. The question on the other side of the ball, really, I wrote down, will they be able to? More of a question is, how will they be able to? Carolina, they got to find some way to slow this Oregon offense down because if this was a game earlier in the season, this was let's say for some reason the game the regular season ended after ten games, and Carolina went straight into their bowl game, I would say, oh yeah, there's no doubt Carolina can keep up with Oregon. In this game, though. I think at this point, with what we've seen from Carolina in the last three games of the regular season, this defense cannot go in with the mindset of, hey, our offense is going to pick us up if we come up short. They have to be able to find some way to slow this offense down. And to me, I think the easiest way is turnovers, but I think it's really going to be all about motivation in this game, especially because you probably will see some guys in that defensive front and in that defensive backfield that have not played a ton this season that will be getting their opportunities.
1: Yeah, and I feel like this is a game where I mean, like at for at some point Gene Chesg has kind of just come to the point and realize that if we're gonna give up points and yards, I'd rather doing it while being aggressive than being conservative.
0: Yes. Oh I, please, for I'm, the
1: love of God, blitz in this game. I'm yeah. so frustrated seeing this defense drop seven eight back. And still give up big play after big play. Because
0: your defensive front still cannot get to the quarterback. When they have nine, ten seconds to stand there, the secondary routes are what's killing you. And, you know,
1: as, as good as Bo Nix has been and will be in this game, he does get rattled by pressure. And it, it, does, it does throw him off his game. It makes him hurry, gets quick feet, and stuff like that. And so I think that's what I want to see is – Look, I know Kellen's going to give up 24, 28, 31 points. They're going to give up 400-plus yards of offense.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: no doubt. But, I I mean, at least do so while you're trying to be aggressive, while you're trying to make things happen, as opposed to reacting what the offense is doing and still not making plays. And so, as I mentioned, I want to see guys that I can count on going into next year and say, that's a difference maker. That's, That's a guy that I can trust. Didn't really have that outside of your linebacking core for the majority of the year. Storm Duck became that in the secondary. Now he's in the portal. I'm very, you know, intrigued by what Marcus Alwin and Ledger Cavazos have to offer. This is another chance to build off of that. And so I think that's my thing is that, you know, just go out there. It's a bowl game. You got a game to lose, but you don't have a whole lot to lose. Play aggressive. Put these guys in a position to be just more, you know, playing off of their instincts as opposed to reacting what the offense is doing and see what's out there. Um, but, I mean, I've also come to the point where I realize this team is going to give up its fair share of points, yards, big plays, and they're going to have me yelling at my television.
0: Well, yeah, I, I think you're right, but but – What do you have to lose? You're right. Either way, the season is over after this game. So why not go out there and try to experiment with some things and see if there is, you know, if maybe being more aggressive moving forward and blitzing more is what you have to do to get this defensive front going. Um, Maybe try a little more man coverage for some of these guys as opposed to what you've been playing this entire season, which is basically trying to play safe zone and just getting still getting beat for huge gains i mean you've got to try to change some things up and that's the thing we've been preaching this entire year to this defensive staff is change your scheme change the personnel whatever you but they have not been doing that now maybe with everything that's happened with the transfer portal this will actually force their hand a little bit. Look, there are guys, believe it or not, there are four players that are in the transfer portal that will play in this game, three of them on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think you'll probably see those guys much, if at all, in this game, but you are going to be forced to have to throw some other guys in there. And I think, like I said earlier, for this side of the ball in particular, this is a chance to... Try to see what you've got in some of the guys remaining on the roster and figure out if there are other areas that you need to attack in the transfer portal. I'm still mind-blown that they have not gone into the transfer portal and found an edge rusher yet. That That is something that has just left me scratching my head. And maybe they're looking into it. Maybe there is somebody that they're hoping to get on campus here at some point. Maybe it's somebody that's currently been practicing with their team for a bowl game. I don't know. But is this the game that finally makes them see that they need somebody there, they might need somebody on the interior of the defensive line, whatever, or do you find those solutions? Does Travis Shaw break out in this game and all of a sudden you're saying, here we go, we've got got what we thought we had on the interior of the defensive line with him. Now we just have to find one other guy to go along with them down there is you know this the chance that you know is this where you try to see if Kamen Rucker is your guy that can play the jack position moving forward and he he comes out and performs great and all of a sudden you found your guy there for next year that's the thing that you need to be looking for if you're carolina but at the same time I'm I'm with you. Be aggressive to try to slow this Oregon offense down because if you can go out with a win and this defense can have a strong performance, that I mean that would just propel uh, that would be huge for this group moving forward, especially if they were to make coaching changes after the game. The last thing uh, when it comes to the Torial storylines for this game, and this is one that I think we will be talking about after this game, regardless of the outcome, does this game have to be a win for this to be considered a successful season for Tario football? There are a lot of people that will probably say, Hey, look, we're Carolina football. Nine wins is great. I understand that point. There are also people that will say, Hey, we were nine and one, and we lost four straight at the end of the season. This kind of resembles what we saw in 2016. I understand that point as well. Where do you stand on this one? Is is this a must-win for this to be considered a successful season? You know, I, I'm asking the tough questions today. We
1: entered the year at a crossroads, and I said I wanted to come out of this year saying I'm still confident in the direction that Mac Brown's taking this program. But second week in November, that wasn't a doubt. This team was 9-1. They were in the top 15 of the college football playoff rankings. Dude,
0: he was a coach of the year candidate.
1: Like, everything was there. And then you lose that home to Georgia Tech. You follow that up with another home loss to NC State. And then you go get trounced by a Clemson team in an ACC title game in a game that was over at halftime. I think the answer is yes, only because of those circumstances. If Carolina was entering this game nine and four, but it was just a uh, uneven where you were like three and two, then you were five and three, and then you won four in a row, then you lost your bowl, you lost your tight, your your conference title game. No, but you were nine and one. Like you had New Year's Six
0: aspirations; those were legit. Your quarterback was a Heisman Trophy candidate. I wrote a damn article about how you were being disrespected in the college football playoff rankings, which could have, which was being written by multiple national people as well. So I, I think, I think that's the only reason why the answer is yes, considering where
1: you were and where you are now. If it wasn't this way, where you started out with this, uh, you know, this nine and one record and a chance to have a historic season, then no, I wouldn't think so. Because then if Carolina wins, like on the flip side, you got a double digit win or a double digit campaign here. That doesn't happen here very often. And so I think that's gonna be the thing. Like a win really just saves the season in a lot of different ways. A loss, the questions that we have, they will still linger around Mac Brown as we enter the two thousand twenty three offseason.
0: Yeah, and, and look, I mean, if they look, if they get to ten wins that would be just the second time since he left in 97 that Carolina has won double-digit games. So you're right. That would be special. And it feels like, hey, you're one win away from that, and you're saying that it wouldn't be a successful season. This one's <laughs> – I mean, this one. This question is so complicated because I there's so much that goes into this. Would it – Probably still be seen as a successful season, yes. Because, as I've said multiple times, as I told Isaac Shade and yourself yesterday when we were talking on the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, which I highly recommend as well, if you guys want want a second listen uh, and a preview to this game as well, Isaac does a tremendous job for them. But I think... Regardless of what happens, you have got this team back to where they were at least in 2020, exiting that season. Now, granted, that year you went to a New Year Six Bowl game. So you could probably have the argument that, no, they were probably still a little ahead of schedule of where this team would be if they lost this game. But you're in that same neighborhood, and so then you would be – you would have the possibility to build on that next year with a special quarterback like you did in 2021. The concern for me, though, (laughs) and I told you this, I told you this when they lost the game to Georgia Tech and we were on the bus riding back to our car. I said, dude, the one thing that I am concerned about is that this is a game that turns the season like it did in 2016. And it feels so similar where Carolina lost that game to Duke they won they won later in the season it wasn't like this where they would lose out after that loss but they they won that game actually they beat the Citadel so yeah wasn't wasn't a great win but still but this feels very very similar to that if it ends up like this and that's what concerns me i've already told you And I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but when we were talking about this, it will never get as bad as it did at the end of Larry Fedora with Drake May here. But to me, would finishing six and seven like they did in 2022 with a guy that's, or in 2021, excuse me, with a guy that is as talented as Drake May is a quarterback, would that not almost feel very similar to 2017? Just because of how much talent he has?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no doubt, because you would have wasted back-to-back legendary quarterbacks with really nothing to show for it. Like, your most impressive accomplishments have been losses. You lost in an Orange Bowl, and you lost in a conference title game. So, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the curse of Tar Heel football, is that even in a year where you think you have, everything is going right, they do what they do best, and they lose a game that they shouldn't lose, and that derails the whole entire season. And we go from the New Year Six talk to, you know, Heisman talk to, state of the program talk in
0: less than three weeks. And look, I, look, I think regardless, Drake May will still be in the preseason Heisman talk next year. He's too talented of a quarterback. But it just feels like the direction of the program. They, if they lose this game, there will be legitimate discussions this offseason about whether or not Mac Brown comes in with the seat. I'm not going to say warm, but I, I don't even know if you would call the seat hot. But there would be questions of is Mac Brown sort of starting to lose touch just a little bit? Does Carolina have to be prepared? to find their next guy after Mac Brown. Those conversations would have to be had. But hopefully Carolina can get it done against Oregon tomorrow night. And we're going to tell you after this break, what are the keys to Carolina getting this done? And we'll give you our predictions to this game as well. Stick around with us here on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. The reason why they have all these great ways that you can play with same-game parlays, easy and fast payouts, and player prop options. So if you want to bet on maybe even some of the former Tar Heels, how many rushing yards Michael Carter will have in a game for the Jets, you can do it all at DraftKingsSportsbook.com. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Guys, I've been using it to bet on my favorite team, even though they let me down this past week. The New York Giants, I've been betting on them all season long, and it has worked out well for me. I've been betting heavily on Saquon Barkley. Mike Kafka, can you please help me out and use him a little bit more this week? You can bet on your favorite team, even if it's the Carolina Panthers, At DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow. And you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubber 2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe. With you. We are previewing Carolina's game tomorrow night in the Holiday Bowl against the Oregon Ducks. And now it's time to give you the keys to the game. How does Carolina get a win in this one? First key to the game, I think, with what we've seen from Oregon's defense this entire season, allowing 260 yards per game through the air Christian Gonzalez out of the lineup in this one I think Carolina has to be able to get this passing game into rhythm you know one way that they can do it I think is with the help of that run game but the most important thing is that you have to have Drake May feeling confident and moving the ball through the air hitting those plays down the field when he needs to against the Ducks if they want to win.
1: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is that get back to – What you did earlier in the year, get the ball out quickly. Just, you know, whether it's a a, a three-step drop and you're throwing a a two- to three-yard route or whatever, get the ball to your tight ends. Like, no matter what it is, quit waiting for it. And I think that was something that, because Antoine Green became such a playmaker, they just wanted to hold the ball and force it. Get the ball out. Make these guys tackle. Tackling in football is bad. It's not good. Uh, here we go. So so put these guys in a position to make plays, and, and trust that your guys' skill and their athletic abilities and stuff are gonna, they're gonna show up and they're gonna break tackles. They're gonna make guys miss. Well, Kobe
0: Payser, what has he shown you this year to not trust him? Like let us let's, let's give him the football a little bit here, because when I've seen him out there, I think he's looked great. And when it comes to J.J. Jones, like, yeah, I've challenged him to step up. Look, you've got to give him opportunities because you got to figure out, is he a guy that is going to be a part of what you do moving forward? Or do you have to find other guys besides him that can be an effective part of what you do at wide receiver? You know, is this a scenario where Devontae Walker is coming in and that's the guy who he is replacing? Or is it as simple as, you know, you're going to have him just replace Antoine Green and J.J. Jones will be that second guy next to him? I think those are the types of things that you have to answer when it comes to your receiving core in this game.
1: Hit me with that again. Wow. Really? I I was reading something over here.
0: You also, by the way, you also have had a cough that is just absolutely destroying you over there. Yeah, I'm reading about trying to get it to stop because I'm sure people are tired of hearing me cough. My God, yeah, no, no. I mean, in all seriousness, you are definitely sick. But um, really, I, I mean, I just think you have to you you have to trust these guys, and if they are not able to make the plays, then you go out and and. Give other guys opportunities, even in this game, with with the ruling from the NCAA that they will not pen, that they will not hold bowl games this year against guys being able to redshirt. You're going to have Andre Green Jr. who will be at your disposal as well. So to me, get, give let's find some answers in that passing game and. At the same time, let, let's use it to move the ball up and down the field because I think earlier in the year they more than proved themselves capable of doing that while not having both Josh Downs and Antoine Green.
1: Yeah, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see you know what the game plan is, who they line up, where they line up, how they, they utilize them. I just want the ball out of Drake's hand quick as possible. Just, you know, get it back to one, two reads and get the ball out. And just three yards and, and see what happens. Um, and maybe you'll see more production from Pesor, or Blackwell, J.J. Jones, whoever that those guys may be. Get the tight ends involved. And if those guys don't step up, well, guess what? Then you can look at it and say, well, we got to go in the portal and find somebody else. Well, the tight
0: ends are huge. Yeah. I think when you saw this offense at its best, the tight ends were involved in what they wanted to do. And for some reason at the end of the year, and I think part of it was Bryson Nesbitt got banged up. He just hasn't really looked the same since. Kamari Morales, you know, has been solid, but he's even sort of disappeared a little bit down the stretch of the season. My question is why aren't they more involved? Are they trying to utilize them to help the offensive line? And that's why they've been taken out of the game? Or is there another reason? Because, to me, you have to get these guys involved more moving forward, especially because there really isn't that receiving threat out of the backfield. That's that's one thing Carolina is still lacking right now. And maybe they find that in this game. Maybe Petaway steps up, whatever. But that's it's got to be your tight ends have to be involved in what happens in this game. The second one... This one's pretty obvious with what they've done down the stretch of the season. You got to execute in the red zone. Because you in your last 17 trips to the red zone, you have scored in on 9 of those. Only 5 of them have been touchdowns. That is unacceptable. That that's an area we want to get better. That's most people's bugaboo with Phil Longo. Well, here's the thing. It has to start in this game, if you want to win this game, you have to be able to take advantage of when you get into that red zone.
1: Yeah, too many times Carolina had to settle for three as opposed to six, or you know, forced Mac Brown's hand to, to go for it, and or none, or they turn the ball yeah, over. And, like, and so you know, look in a game where points are going to be at a premium, you can't settle for field goals. Field goals will get you beat. Um, and this is where I come back to using your tight ends in the passing game, but also Carolina's running game in the red zone has got to be better. That was the biggest issue was that they could run it from the 20 to the 20. But when the field shrunk and whatever and it got condensed, they couldn't run the ball as well as they could when the field was
0: a lot larger. And so It starts up front, though, too, because we noticed that against Clemson. The biggest issue that Carolina had in that game in the red zone was – Pretty much, once they got into the red zone, it was like a f- a switch flipped, and the offensive line just could not get any sort of push up front. When they were in between the twenties, it was no problem; they could do that without issue. Right? Why did it change when it got in the red zone? They have to find the answer to that.
1: Yep, and so hopefully they can start finding that in this game because this is a more than capable defense for you to, you know take full advantage of and abuse in a lot of different ways in the air and in the ground game. But, look, if Carolina goes into the red zone and they're selling for field goals or they're having to go for it, that tells you all you need to know about what needs to be a focus this offseason when trying to get this offense back to where we thought it was going to be in the middle
0: of November. And so then my, my third key to this game is Carolina has to be able to create some turnovers In this game, the way that this offense has moved the ball throughout the year for Oregon, it is really hard to just expect them to all of a sudden find a way to slow down this unit completely, especially because we know that Carolina's defense has not been up to that task against some of the better or or some of the worse offenses that they have faced so far this year. This offense, as we mentioned, First of all, probably the best offensive line that they will face the entire season. Not to mention, you've got a quarterback who is about as in rhythm as he has been his entire career. We never saw Bo Nix anywhere near the the type of level that he has been at Oregon so far this season. But here's the thing: Oregon is a team that you know so far this year they've done a pretty good job of taking care of the football. But I think for Carolina, you've got to be that team that finds a way to force turnovers from them if you want to win this game.
1: And that comes back to the aggressionness. Because if Carolina sits back and they don't force the issue, they're not going to force turnovers. You don't have guys that can make plays on the ball. We're not a defense that causes fumbles. So I feel like if you're sending pressure after Bo Nix, he may be suspect to throw an errant pass or two. Maybe you get him to where you hit him, and then he does fumble the football. One of those type of things. And you know, when this Tar Heel defense forces turnovers, we can live with 24 points, 28 points, whatever it is, because mm-hmm. it gives the, the offense a shorter field to go score the points. And so,
0: look at the game against Miami earlier this year. Yeah, so great you know, example.
1: If Carolina goes in there and they force, even if it's just a turnover. Two, it's gonna go. It's gonna help their chances of winning the game. If they go in there and they don't force turnovers and they give Bo Nix time in the passing game to define the guys that he wants to get the football to, and they can start running the game, the running the ball off of that, it'll be a long day for this Tar Heel defense. And Oregon, you know, Oregon's not gonna be incapable of dropping fifty points on them. Like if Carolina doesn't play aggressive and they're
0: not getting to to, to Bo Nix, they can go out here and put a fifty burger on this defense. Yeah, oh, no doubt about it. And and see, this is the thing that's concerning. This is the hardest of the keys to execute. And it's one that is something that a lot of teams have not been able to do. I mean, they've turned the football over 11 times the entire season, eight of them have been interceptions, three have been fumbles. So it's a team that's held onto the football very, very well. Um, they they haven't been phenomenal at taking the ball away on the other side, but as I mentioned, they do have 16 interceptions so far this season. So I think for Carolina, you have to assi- you, you have to assume, especially with how you've played in these last three games, that there could be a turnover or two on your side. Offensively, so you have to counter that by creating turnovers of your own. It's it's a tough task, but I think this game overall is a tough task. And so let's move into our predictions for this game. And this one, I, there is so much going against Carolina in this game. As we mentioned earlier, no Josh Downs, all the guys that are in the transfer portal that will not play in this game. No offensive coordinator. No uh, no offensive line coach officially. This is a as tough of a task as it gets. I will go first. I think I think Carolina puts up a fight for sure. I I don't think this is one where they're just gonna lay down and get beat down because I think they know how important this game is for them. They want to prove some things that the end of the year is not what people need to remember them by. I just think I, I think this Oregon offense just has too much. This is a chance for Oregon to sort of build for next year as well and put themselves in contention to be in the conversation of a top 10 team heading into next year, one of the favorites to win the Pac-12, and potentially an outside college football playoff team. I think Oregon wins this game 38-24 over Carolina. Yeah, no, when I saw the
1: matchup revealed on Selection Sunday, I, I automatically knew where I was going. I like this Oregon team. I watched them a lot throughout this season. Um, I, I know the way their season ended against Oregon State wasn't the way they wanted it to, which is why I think you'll see a motivated, ticked off uh, team in this game. I like Bo Nix. I like their weapons on offense. Um, I know their defense is banged up, but you know it's really hard to, to look at Carolina's offense and and fully trust they'll be able to expose them. I've got the Ducks thirty five to twenty four. Um, and what should be a fun game, but a game that will leave us having questions that we have to be asked and answered as we head into the off season.
0: Well, let's hope that result is a little bit different for Carolina and that they can come away with the victory. But regardless of if they do or not, we will have you covered on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. I will have the recap of the game for you. We will have uh, also, it's not up just yet, but it'll be up uh, early in the morning uh, tomorrow or tomorrow. Uh, about mid-morning at least, we will have that game preview for you guys so you can dive further into everybody. The guys that will be active, the guys that will not be active for both sides in this game, uh, as well as team stack comparisons, team breakdowns, all that great stuff in the preview. Um, And then, you know, after we're done, along with the recap, you will have uh, Ashton's analysis, um, and then we will get you uh, ready for – Uh, next year, uh, starting almost immediately. We will have your final grades. We'll wrap up the season, of course, from 2022, but then we will be parlaying it over into, uh, you know, more – focus on the transfer portal with still uh, a couple of weeks, few weeks actually, until we get to that January 18th deadline for the transfer portal. No doubt there should be more news on that front uh, on either side for Carolina, whether it's outgoing or ingoing guys. So we'll we'll have you covered there as well as any potential coaching changes to the staff that could be coming after the bowl game. If those are on the horizon and we will of course have you covered with uh, everything else going on with the uh, on the recruiting trail as Carolina gets closer and closer to officially closing out their 2023 class 20 guys did sign in the early signing class we do have an article up that breaks down all those guys if you want to go back and read that but we will be monitoring to make sure that Carolina is not looking to add anybody else to that raw to that class uh, as we uh, will you know, turn around and and, and get prepared uh, almost immediately for 2023. Head o- uh, over to the basketball portion of the website as well. Carolina has really, really turned a non-conference season that was looking pretty bleak with a four-game losing streak into a pretty successful one with two nice wins at the end. Uh, they took down Ohio State and Madison Square Garden and then followed it up with a win in the Spectrum Center over Michigan Now Carolina gets ready to go into conference play, and they will tip it off at noon on Friday. That's right. You heard that right. Noon on Friday on the ACC Network against Pitt. We will have you covered with that. Podcast uh, is on the website. You guys can check that out. But also make sure you check out the articles. Josh will have you covered with a preview and recap of that game as well as the majority of the other games throughout this season left for Carolina as they look to get themselves back into that national title contention uh, and, and make another magical run in the month. Of March. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank Josh for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, Yo Targets.